From the podcasting studio in the Reynolds School of Journalism, this is Residual Culture. A media mixtape. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Ben Birkenbein. And we've got another guest, Ben. We do. Joining us today in the studio is the one, the only, Casey Bell. Welcome, Casey. Hello. Thank you. Yeah, so Casey's joining us today to talk about uh, literature. Literature and short stories. And short stories. I guess short stories are part of literature. 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 This is already too classy. (laughs) This just got, the the class on the podcast just skyrocketed. Oh, yeah. This is the classiest episode. I'm going to start drinking with my pinky up. (laughs) But um, you guys, the reason you guys know each other is you're bandmates. Mm -hmm. You're the rhythm, you you make up the rhythm section of, of, um, oh no, I forgot your band's name. Wait, no, don't tell me. We'll just let him struggle on air for a while. Um, It's Fine Motor. You got it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Fine Motor, The the rhythm section of Fine Motor. Yeah, and as long as the other band members are not here, I think Casey and I can now fully admit that all you really need is bass and drums (laughs) in a band. Yeah, so Casey, you play the drums. I play drums and I sing and Ben plays bass. Yeah. Yeah. And everything else is just kind of superfluous. Just just sits, you know, on top. They just sort of, you know, they're like the hoity-toity kind of, oh, we can do things above your, what you're laying down for us. Where would they be without the foundation? Exactly. The bedrock. The foundation, like basically none of which I have written originally. (laughs) (laughs) And so the foundation of media, a lot of media is in books. Look at you! Look at you bringing the segue in. I'm a pro at segue. This is, I mean, I will go out on a limb and say this is already the most professionally produced podcast we've done. I I feel like I need to be a little bit more professional when we have guests. (laughs) Oh, it's true. Yeah, Joey's trying to make a good impression. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, So anyways, we, um, what did we do? We ended our last episode by recommending some short stories to one another. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to discuss that, but we also thought it'd be nice to kind of make, involve Casey in this conversation as well. So she just doesn't sit over there in silence, which would be awkward. Also, Casey, why are you qualified to talk to us about literature and uh, short stories? (laughs) Uh, Qualified might be a generous word, but um, so I am in my second year of my MFA program here at UNR. Um, and I'm in the fiction program. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. I write short stories, um, read a lot of short stories, talk about fiction a you, lot. You workshop them a little I bit? I workshop them every week. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, Nicely done. I'm, I'm just fascinated by that concept. Yeah, Ben Ben has asked me a lot about it. And I'm going to ask you again today <laughs> on the podcast. We, we've, got a, we've got a special segment coming up later in the episode. But we do. For now, let's talk about, um, you recommended uh, The Bet by Anton Chekhov. I did, yes. And you read it? I read it last night. Okay, what'd you think? I'm always last Wait, night. hold on. So Casey, have you read The Bet? I think I read it as an undergrad, like years ago. Okay. Um, hey, so. I also read it as an undergrad. Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I see. Uh, yeah, got it. Because I'm still an undergrad for one more week. Wow. And then I think I graduate and then die, right? Yes. That's what happens. Uh, that's, that's, that's the progression. At least that's the feel. That's the feeling of <laughs> okay. impending doom, right? Congratulations. Actually, thank you. Oh, that reminds me. So remind me to um to to say this. I took down a few quotes from the short story you recommended, which was uh the color of space by H. P. The L- color out of space. The color or a color out of space. Either a or the. Okay. Anyways, by Lovecraft. H. <laughs> so. P. Lovecraft, my a. favorite author. Yeah. So anyways, there was a great uh, quote having to do with doom okay, cool. that I think I have in here. So yeah, the bet by Chekhov, it's uh, it's short. It's very short. It's like, I think it was 10 pages, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. So what happens in this story? Uh, this wealthy banker makes a bet at a dinner party with a, coll- a younger colleague who is 25, and they're talking about the death penalty and or life in prison um, and kind of the merits there of like, what is, what is you know, what's worse. And the... So the younger gentleman was like, oh, I'll make a bet with you that I can live in like solitude for it, it, They originally said five years and the guy was like, no, make it 15. Uh, and so he lives in solitude for 15 years. Um, and if he did this, he would get two million dollars. Um, and the banker was like, sure. Yeah. And this was in the 1800s where in like two million dollars was like mad cash. That's bro. insane. Yeah. I mean, it's mad still insane cash. today. And I can't even imagine what it was in 1887 when he wrote it. But um, yeah. So this this guy does it. He he. The, it's kind of it's from the banker's perspective, um, and, and he's thinking about what this guy's been doing for fifteen years. And it kind of cuts to the guy in in this cabin, basically in the banker's garden. Um, and he's allowed uh, like books, and he has a piano, and um, uh, he he he's allowed like food and wine. He's just not allowed to interact with anybody. He's allowed to write letters out, and he does. And but he he also has access to books and yeah that's yeah so yeah so he does so he's not totally 
He just has to be isolated from other people. From people, yeah. And so it kind of goes through like the first three years, the first five, like every year kind of what he's doing, what they hear inside the cabin, what letters he's sending out. Um, and in the end, like... Do we, do we, I guess we have to do it. I kind of want to it. Because it's a short story. It's so short. It's I mean, because the end is like, it's the big culmination of the whole thing anyway. Yeah, the, right? the guy is just like, don't be around people. He's like, everyone is... He kind of comes to this realization that like being isolated isn't the worst thing. And that also... I don't know. Like he he's he's read a lot of religion and he's read a lot of like everything and he's like we have all this knowledge and everyone squanders it and like it's just kind of this it's kind of it's a pretty sad ending this guy and he doesn't want to leave the, I mean he does he leaves the cabin and he doesn't want the 2 million dollars cuz he's like the, like he leaves like 5 hours before the 15 years is up and he's like and gives, I don't want it. He gives like a a big kind of statement yeah. about the whole thing, right? Yeah. And I think he just basically says, I've read all your books, I've, you know, studied your religions. And he's like, all of that is meaningless. And just as meaningless as he sort of renounces money, like the money that he would have gained. And he renounces society, too. Yeah. It's kind of this yeah. big renouncement of just everything, which I think is indicative of Russian literature normally. Would you Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Kind of a downer, <laughs> Russian literature. Yeah. yeah. My, my girlfriend is really into uh, Russian literature. So okay. She... Yeah. It's like God or bread. Which yeah, Dostoevsky <laughs> asks. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was good. Uh, I like sad stuff, so I'm always I'm always a sucker for a sad story. And or, it was and it was like a or an existential crisis. I love that. Well, that's what that's what it all was, right? Yeah. And it's, I think Chekhov is often lumped in with that kind of existential literature, right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting in. I'm wading into territory <laughs> which I have I have like only coffee shop conversation knowledge. Yeah. Well, and I think that short story does a lot of moralizing too. Yes. Um, and there's this kind of right because doesn't the the banker is going to kill this dude right because he realizes yeah he's going to lose his Am money. I remembering this yeah. right? Yes, that is okay. that is the kind of something I forgot is like after 15 years the banker has lost a lot of his money and he right. can't afford to pay this guy the two million dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. So just as he's sneaking in to kill this guy, he discovers his letter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, never mind. Oops. God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm a horrible human. Yeah. Let me reflect on my own life and yeah. see how meaningless it is yeah so uh i liked it uh if you like some existential crisis stuff check it out huh it's it, it's coming a good time in my life <laughs> as we referred to me graduating soon. you know yeah that that is kind of funny uh so on that optimistic note yeah. um yeah you you recommended uh lovecraft's the color of color out of space color out of space yes which was kind of cool you know what's crazy my dad read this to me when I was eight. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a little crazy. Yeah, it's a little bit nuts. Because uh, I was a little too young to handle this at a, as an eight-year-old. <laughs> it, and it's, yeah, so it's, um, it's like sci-fi horror, yeah, I it, think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, so basically in this one you've got uh, area of town and, um, well, it's a sort of really rich kind of area of town. And then this meteorite lands... Uh, kind of crashes down next to this house and then you know people are fascinated by this they don't really know what this is so people from the local university start poking and prodding at the meteor they find out that it's very soft etc cetera, etc cetera. and then all sorts of weird stuff starts to happen as every hp lovecraft book kind of has to do everyone just goes and goes insane <laughs> yeah yeah and um yeah, they, they end up finding this small globule inside of this meteorite, uh, which is basically just like hollow space. Um, and then just things start happening. So like everything starts growing a lot, right? But the gardener or the guy that lives there finds out that his fruit is totally um, inedible, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's like been poisoned. It doesn't taste good, but it grows a lot. And then things start to reverse and yeah. things start to just degrade, deteriorate, Things lose their color. Uh, the people that live there start going mad. And um, there are these amazingly descriptive and like vivid. It's just it's a very vivid storytelling, yeah. you know, Lovecraft, because he describes like the smells and the sights and the colors and everything and how it's changing. Um, and he, it, was, it was very visual, very visual yeah. storytelling. He would have been a really good radio producer. <laughs> Got to be very visual in radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, he would have. But yeah, I I think that it's really it's a kind of like his quintessential because all of his stories I think have you read a lot of H.P. Lovecraft? No, I haven't. But um... they all kind of follow the same th- formula. Like it's like something weird happens and everyone goes crazy, <laughs> and then there's no explanation. Yeah. They're all kind of the same, and I think that this is like the one that kind of exemplifies him the best, in my opinion. Because I've, I've read a lot of his stuff, and I think that this is. The strange thing is, and I don't know if this is true for other Lovecraft writings, but 
it but it's told as if it's just like a slice of life. Yeah, they're all like, yeah. It's not present day, but they're like, oh, do you want to know how this this? Um, it's usually or, someone recounting something. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and it just kind of adds some lore to a particular location. And, and all of his uh, books and short stories kind of inter- intermingle a bit. Uh, it's like the it's like the OG Marvel Cinematic Universe or something. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> where they all actually kind of have like something related to one another. Where there's like just a lot of weird stuff going on in the world. And it's kind of just signaling the end of days and like this sort of supernatural cosmic god that is so outside of our realm of understanding that if you see him, you just die. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where Cthulhu comes from and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think Lovecraft kind of his stuff gets a little old actually because it's all very similar. So, but it's uh, interesting. Yeah, and that's kind of strange that both of us recommended fairly dark and doomy kind and, of and old too and, and old. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah. this is the other thing. So, like, what about yourself, Casey? You've been reading any short stories, anything recently that you uh, like? Yeah. So, um, right now, I'm really excited about this 2017 story collection from a woman named Carmen Maria Machado. Mm. Um, the collection is called Her Body and Other Parties. And one of the first um, stories in the collection is called The Husband Stitch. So, really dark, also. Um, and kind of plays with some fairy tale elements. Um, and the whole collection is like that. It's kind of like grounded and realistic. And then there's one element that's a little bit speculative. And then it kind of gains momentum and gravity until the whole story kind of swirls around it. Hmm. Why, why, why do you think... I mean, I was talking about this with some friends the other day, this kind of magical realism, mm-hmm. right? That's very been hot right now. It's really popular in both movies and books, yeah, I guess. Yeah, why, why do you think that that's a good storytelling element? Well, I think that genre can be used to kind of amplify um, real emotion. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's this kind of like age old thing. Like it's, you know, folklore revolves around the same kind of magical realism. And I think that we just kind of innately connect to it. And, and um, yeah, it's a way of kind of like turning up emotion in a way that realism can't always achieve. Okay. Yeah, it's, I've always kind of wondered, like, why we're kind of drifting that way, it mm-hmm. seems like. You know what? Um, have you seen the movie? I know I'm bringing this to movies really quick, but have you have you seen Annihilation, either of you? No. Nope. Uh, with Natalie Portman and um, uh, Poe Dameron from Star Wars. Um, <laughs> that guy. Don't but know. No. it reminds me a lot of The Color Out of Space, now that I think about it. It's very, there's definitely a lot of influence uh, if you have seen it. Read Color Out of Space, you'll see the influence from it. Anyway, that's okay. a total little aside there. Interesting. Do we want to move on to kind of our main topic? Yeah, I think we can. Um, yeah, well, one of the main topics we talked about is like we asked Casey to kind of come in and, you know, obviously a big part of the show is to to talk about things that were like, you know, like favorites or whatever. So what about, you know, favorite books, you know, like things that were important to you or that have stuck with you a la residual culture? Yeah. You know? So what uh, what's on your list, Casey? So are we talking like all-time favorites or just Usually the one we, when we do these things it's we tend not to say it's a rank order. It's not okay. like top 5. Although but we have done that. We have done that <laughs> and that often leads to those always lead to debate, right? Okay. Which yeah. is why they make for such good clickbait online. Yeah. <laughs> top 5 and top 10 lists, whatever. But uh at other times we've just said whatever just, you know, either triggers a memory, mm-hmm. you know, like, or growing up, or it was like the first, like, kind of real book that you read, mm. or just something that you would just say, like, this is kind of constantly on my mind, or I revisit this one, it sort of meant a lot to yeah. me in that moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a short story collection by Joy Williams called The Visiting Privilege, um, and she's my favorite author of all time. Okay. Uh, and has been for, I don't know, maybe 10 years? Um and I feel like I've been able to kind of draw connections back to her work through all my reading. Um, and it's just so, I, I feel like she's kind of taught me how to be a short story writer. Okay. Yeah. So nice. that's definitely a so, really important collection to me. So like what sort of themes, uh, you know, like, I mean, do the short stories kind of share similar yeah. themes or do they explore yeah. certain concepts? Um, so so kind of non-compliant troubled women okay. are often at the center of these stories um, and these women often have really complex relationship with animals, with nature, um, their, their romantic life is usually pretty fraught and then at some point there's this like moment of snap kind of um, when the, the main character just reaches a breaking point and does something kind of rash um, hmm. 
Yeah, and but that can look all kinds of different ways. It doesn't have to be this like big dramatic cinematic thing that can happen in a kind of like quiet way. Um, okay. Yeah. Did she? Okay, I, I'm I'm just I read this short story a little like a couple months ago, and I don't remember the author at all. But it was about a woman who chose to, in this society, you could become a horse. Like you could just choose to like instead of having a sex change, you could just become a horse mm. if you were done with life. Like if you're like, I'm fed up with, you know, like being a marketing person in New York and that's what she was. And so she just decided to go through this equestrian change and it's mm. a slow process. She gets like shots and it kind of is kind of her process of going into becoming a wild animal. And there's a point where like she kicks her roommate. Oh, wow. Because she like is starting to develop hooves and like has these animal instincts. Um, I, is that her? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, do you remember where you read it? Uh, <laughs> it was on This American Life. They okay. recommended it and then huh. I read it on their website. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll have to go back and find yeah, that. Maybe it I'll, sounds really cool. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the description of this episode. Okay. Sure. Very sure. interesting story. Yeah. Um, is there, do you relate to this author? Or do you feel like that's maybe one of the reasons? Um, I don't know. I mean, every everything she explores is a little bit stranger than the life that I know. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's, that's why. It's a, I think it's about kind of taking um, a realistic situation and then just kind of like distorting it, letting it wobble out of time just a little bit so we still recognize it. But things are things are a little bit strange. Okay. Hmm. Cool. I like that. Ben? I like that. Yeah. I mean, I like that idea because I think that's one of the things that is great about literature or books in general, right? Is they can kind of transport you to a place, and things can be very real. But it can, you know, you can experience things that other people experience. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, just kind of broaden your perspective on life that way. Yeah. Generally speaking. I realize I'm speaking very generally. <laughs> I'm like I'm like trying to philosophize about you know the greatness of of literature, but I think that's generally true. Do you have a do you have a book that kind of sticks out or a short story that sticks with you? Um, yeah, I mean, short stories not necessarily, but for example, like right now, I'm really loving, uh, and I'm almost to the end of. Uh, I finally got around to reading *The Dispossessed* by Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we talked it's about like, this once before. Yeah, I, I'm not I sure. Think we talked about it off air. Yeah, it was off air, but yeah, I've been reading it, and I'm I like just yesterday. I'm, I'm now like you know I've got like two chapters left, and there was a pretty major event that just happened in the book. But what is great about it is, um, so it's like uh, uh, anarchist feminist science fiction. And in this world, there are literally two worlds. There's Anaris and Uras. And um, basically what divides these is their their approach to life, their, their philosophical systems that organize their life. So on Anaris, everything is anarchist, right? Like it's an anarchist utopia. And then on Uras, it's all propertarian. And so what happens is this gentleman from Anaris travels to Uras and he's there like studying and things and he's trying to understand that society and other people are trying to make sense of him and like he's like, you know, what's going on with the way that you have property and the way that you feel ownership over certain things. It's a really interesting and creative way of clashing two ideologies together. Just saying, what if these were literally two separate societies and what would happen if someone were to cross over? Interesting. You know? Yeah. One of my favorite books has very similar themes, actually. Um, uh, the Forever War. Uh, it was written in the 80s, I believe, and it's kind of d- exploring time travel, um, but in like a very realistic way, in which like it, they're at a war in war with this race that's like you have to go through a black hole to get to them, and so every time you go through the black hole, it takes 500 years or whatever. Hmm. And so every time he goes to a battle and comes back, the society has completely changed to something completely different. The first time he goes and comes back. Uh, everyone is gay because they had overpopulation and, and like the government was just like everyone has to be gay now and they like put a pill in everyone's water or something and the next time he like because that's how it works yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then like next time he like he leaves and comes back and it's just one person and it's a hive mind they're all just like clones of this hive mind and then he leaves and come and then the hive mind was like oh hey you're like one of those forever war people we thought you guys all died <laughs> like yeah. you, we can give you a planet and like he leaves and comes back, and then everyone's back to normal because like they've kind of realized this. And he leaves and comes back. It's like utopian society. Every time he leaves and comes back, it's more of a look at like society and how it changes over like you know hundreds and hundreds of years than it is about the war. Although that is a really interesting part of it as well. Hmm. And who wrote this? It was I will look it up while you guys okay. discuss something. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. So yeah, I can't believe I don't remember is the author. So it's also interesting that both of us brought up, at least the two of us brought up. Uh, like sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. Bunch and, of nerds over here. Well, this is this is also what would be referred to as genre yes. writing, correct? Mm-hmm. So any so like when you refer to something as genre, are you referring to literally? It could be like a western. Yeah. It could be like Romance. sci-fi. Yep. And, and in order for something to qualify as genre, like what does it have to do? 
Well, I think it has to, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these these labels are all kind of constructs made up by, you know, publishing marketers. Um, so there's a lot of interesting kind of gray area and intersections. So it depends on how you want to, you know, dissect that question. But I think just very generally speaking, um, anything that's not realism is genre. But that's that's tricky because many romance novels are realistic, many Western novels are realistic. Um, so it's kind of like a slippery category. Well, and we've actually had this discussion, I think a little bit off mic, but on mic too, about like defining movie genres as well. Sure, it's yeah. A, it's a lot of right. trouble, like, right? Yeah, I think it's a similar... Well, and people find this, I think feel this need to try and define the genre. Totally. Like, but I don't know if it's necessarily necessary to enjoy something. No, I think it's a lot more about the audience than it is about the film or the book. Yeah. Um, and I think some people want to say, I'm a sci-fi reader. This is my section of the bookstore. This is where I'm going to find something <laughs> that I like. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's a lot more about the the reader. Yeah. Um, the author is Joe Haldeman. Okay. Um, yeah. And he, there's uh, Haldeman, H-A-L-D-E-M-A-N. Hmm. Um, and he, he wrote a couple of sequels. I think there's two sequels to it, Forever Peace and Forever Something Else. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, I know the next one is about the guy's wife because he like he'll even come back and his wife is like also left and come back, but they mm-hmm. go to like different wars and so they've experienced different things. Um, it's really sweet, um, which is like a nice part of the book too. But yeah, my favorite. I wanted to bring up my favorite short story too, which is okay. Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Um, have you ever read Jonathan Livingston Siegel? I don't think so. And I, of course, I forgot the author of this one too because I'm terrible with author names. But um, it's only like a hundred pages, and it's just about the seagull who kind of realizes like why don't you guys fly higher like you could see more of the ocean you could see more fish and then they're like well, we don't need to like we can just see the fish here and so he like starts flying higher and then he starts flying higher and then he realizes like it, it, get, it gets very existential and very esoterically quick and eventually he like flies into heaven and like meets like god <laughs> and like deals with this but it's a really really interesting take on kind of like limitations i mm. think um <laughs> so yeah, I recommend that if anyone wants to find a good short story. <laughs> so here's here's an interesting experience that I just had. Um, so I was speaking with my son the other day, right? Yeah. So who is now 11 years old. And uh, he just recently read Old Yeller. Oh. And now they're going to be watching the Old Yeller movie oh, in class. And I told him... In th- class? In class. That's th- terrible. They're that's, watching that's as... how embarrassing it is to cry at school? They're watching as a class. And I told... I remember... Exactly. This evoked all sorts of different emotions from me. And I, and I started thinking about all of those books that are kind of, you know, they become the canon for like when you're in elementary school and what you read in, in middle school mm-hmm. and then in high school and like American Lit, you have to read, you know, Of Mice and Men or whatever, right? Um, does this carry over as well, like at the college level? Because I haven't spent much time in like English departments, you know what I mean? <laughs> but but like when you're teaching like like a core humanities class or something, do you say, you know, do you assume a certain level of knowledge? Do you say like, okay, people should have read whatever, Steinbeck or, you know, some of the great American literature or whatever? Or do you... The Grapes of Wrath, yeah. <laughs> or do, are those things assigned here? Hmm. Do you I, know, Casey? I, I mean, I... I, I... <laughs> What's your experience being uh, here? I finagled my way out of a lot of those classes. Okay. <laughs> I only had to take one core humanities class. Uh, I read the Bible and the Quran mostly okay. in that class because it was like old history. We also mm-hmm. read Dante's Inferno and um, the uh, comedy, the great comedy. Um, the Divine com- Comedy? No, not yeah, that's Dante's Inferno. No, the uh, Can- the Canterbury Tales. I'm sorry. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. And so that's what I read there. And I was like, these are fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very interesting discussions about the Quran and the Bible in like our discussion classes because we had some people with very strong opinions, which made for really heated discussions yeah. sometimes. But um, yeah, I never had to. I was never expected as a journalism student to have read like, you know, The Grapes of Wrath or The Sound and the Fury or something, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit embarrassing. My mom's a, a librarian, and I haven't. I like just bought the Grapes of Wrath, <laughs> so I'm like, I probably should read this. Um, I've never read A Brave New World, um, but there's also so many classic books that you're like kind of expect. I don't know. I feel like I'm expected to have read mm-hmm. um, that I haven't. You know, I've never read Slaughterhouse Five. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. See, you're yeah. <laughs> have you read any Vonnegut? I don't think so. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, you should. Especially I, if you love, if you love Lovecraft, if you love sci-fi, yeah, yeah. if you love Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I you just should. read Old Man in the Sea. Okay, like like two mm. months ago. Okay, mm-hmm. and like I'd never been assigned that. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because I had a similar experience. Like, we had a choice in high school. You could either choose American literature or drama literature. What and did so, you do? You did drama literature. Drama, of course. Oh, I did drama literature, I too. I was I'm so <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, you are. But it's fun. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it seems like people have pretty different experience. Because I teach um, first-year writing. So it seems like the freshmen that I'm working with have come from pretty diverse backgrounds in terms of what they've read, what they've been assigned. Um, so I don't know if that like core is uh, is still there, but and I think it varies, right? Because yeah. and I guess I thought about this the other day because um, I was walking through the halls of this building and then I saw a guy sort of laid out on one of the the um, cushions uh, reading Catch Twenty Two, right? I've never read that. Well, and see, <laughs> but but here's the thing, and I remember having this experience as well. Since I didn't take American literature in high school, and then I got to college, and like other kids were talking about all the books they had read, right? I think it even happened, started happening like when I was graduating high school. I felt behind, mm -hmm. and I felt like I needed to kind of grow my cultural capital by, you know, diving into books that I had no frame of reference for. And Catch-22 was one of the first ones. I, I have the same feeling, actually, coming into college. I, I, I feel like I don't have that American literature experience. I, I, I had, like, kind of a, not a non-traditional high school experience, but I didn't take traditional high school classes. I, w I went through the IB program, which is the International Baccalaureate. And so we kind of tried to explore, like, I, my junior year of high school, I took, our, like, our English class was feminist literature. Cool. So, like, that's what I read. Um, and and so, I mean, I've read, um, like, Lysistrata and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I didn't really read those classic... I think I did read some Shakespeare, but I did, I haven't read Vonnegut. I haven't read um, a lot of, you know, like a lot of the classic authors as people would consider hmm. them. Although I, I did read uh, 19, 1984. Did you read um, Mary Wollstonecraft? No. Oh. no. The We're all over the place read here. The, read the, <laughs> we are. I read The Dollhouse. I read Lysistrata. I read, um, I'm trying to remember what else we read in that class. I suppose it's been <laughs> like six years, seven years, but yeah. I only mentioned it just because that's where I when I when I was in London I stayed right on Newington Green and there's like a Mary Wollstonecraft oh like yeah plaque there and okay. all that so yeah I, I, it's funny I feel like everyone kind of is at least there's kind of this assumption that like you have a general knowledge of like some Shakespeare some some Vonnegut some uh, who who wrote 1984 um, uh, Orwell. Orwell Orwell some Orwell you know um, but I I just feel like there's such there's just so many classic, quote unquote, classic books yeah. that you're supposed to have read. Well, and there's like a, is it, who did the list of like the 100 iconic canon books? Um, and there, there's different lists like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I always feel like that. I mean, in every lit seminar I've taken, I'm like, man, everybody else has read so much more than I have. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's just a feeling you carry around. You well, know? And, and I feel like when we talk about movies with Ben, yeah. actually, yeah, every time Ben brings up a movie, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Instead of reading all those American, those classic works of American lit, I was yeah. like, did they make a movie? And I know about more, <laughs> I, I know about more video games than you, which is interesting. I don't know if you do. All right. Well, I know about more you know, modern video yeah, games. Yeah, modern video games. Contemporary. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I really want to know about like kind of the process that goes into writing a story in the short stories. And I think we, we kind of have a little bit of a of a, a tangent that our, from our normal discussions, which is that, Ben, do you want to talk about it? Well, I, I thought what we would do is maybe talk a little bit about what goes into writing. But then I brought a special gift today. Yeah. Uh, I brought some of my creative writing from when I was younger. In fact, the year was 1990. And uh, Ben, who at that point was, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years old, wrote a book called Monsters, <laughs> which I thought we could workshop today on the podcast. How do you guys, how do you Casey, feel about you, that? you workshop, I mean, this is what you do. Yeah, you workshop. Yeah, yeah, this is my jam. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I can, you know, do you guys want to just dive right into it? We, I mean, will, we will post a picture of the, uh, the book on our Instagram. Because visually it's, it's pretty breathtaking. The first thing I want to note is that it's um, it's a backwards book, so it's kind of already got this like postmodern approach. Manga. You think you know what you're gonna get, but Ben, age seven, subverting expectations. I like it. I was already yes, I was already fighting against the system. Yeah. I was working in a you know sort of medium, trying to experiment with the medium a little bit. So I think when I put it together, I just couldn't listen to instructions and I stapled it backwards. <laughs> but, anyways. That's what happened. <laughs> so so I, would, should we do a reading? Yeah, well, that's typically how it goes. The author shares an excerpt, um, and then 
if if you guys want to do this like standard workshop way. Yeah. Oh, I think we should. Okay. Yeah. So oh, so how okay. Page, how many pages is it? <laughs> oh, this is uh one. Hold on. You, uh, talk amongst yourselves. Uh, the outside is this like cr- construction paper. Yeah, this that's purple. like eroding. Um, yeah. And then there's also pencil drawings of what's happening in the story on every other page. And he also has like, uh, what do you call them, uh, footnotes? Footnotes, and it looks like it's well, been, a, a teacher has commented with things like, interesting. Yes, this is, a, this is a full yeah. 10 pages. This is serious is there a, literature. A, are there any like notes like, you should send your son to counseling? <laughs> <laughs> That's off the page. There's, oh, okay. there's, a, there's a strong political message at the end of this book Do you want to well. just read the whole thing? I think we should. Let's do it. Should we, should we do, I, you know, there are some pretty nice breaks. We could almost make it like a chapter kind of thing so we can stop and say like how 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 am i setting the stage or do i need more descriptive language or whatever so um the date on here is uh february 26th 1990 okay and the book reads um and i'm not i'm just going to read them as if um nothing was misspelled or there's no backwards letters i'm assuming yeah okay so um the book is called monsters by ben b and it says it's a fiction book just so you know it's not real but the the a and F are really close together, so <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. In fact, there's a little squiggly line like these should be separated. You know, it's but like, it looks like a fiction book. It's a fiction. A, it's an a fiction book. <laughs> I was way ahead of the affliction T-shirt thing. Okay. Anyways, uh, the book reads: Monsters are not real, but in this story, we are going to talk about monsters. Monsters lived long ago. They were not nice. They were very mean creatures, but there were nice monsters and bad monsters. How am I doing so far? Really it's great. Really good. Okay. Uh, and then I turn the page and there is a um there's an there's an illustration here of a sword monster which I have labeled as mean and then there's a foot monster <laughs> <laughs> which I have labeled as nice. I like it. Um the sword monster does look pretty mean. Okay. Uh most monsters are bad but some were nice. The monsters that are nice have a scent that smells very bad, like old milk. And the bad ones have a very, and the bad ones have a very nice smell, like pizza. You probably meant good ones. I did. I think so. Monsters are also curious about you, so watch out for them. They are mean sometimes. They will get crazy ideas, like, <laughs> like, like. Oh boy. Oh, like attacking you, so watch out. Beware. Should I keep going? Keep going. Yeah, keep I'm, going. On, the, I'm okay. on the edge. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes there are large ones and very small ones. Um, they are watching you. I heard of... <laughs> Paranoia. God. I heard of a person that got eaten by a monster, <laughs> and it was very, very, very big. The monster was over... 1,000 pounds. That's a lot of of pounds. (laughs) Hold on. I need to... Okay. Uh, Over 1,000 pounds. Man, he swallowed him in one gulp. So maybe like he swallowed the man in one gulp? Is it like man, comma? I I don't know. He swallowed him in one gulp. I don't even know what my own mind was thinking. Okay. Um, uh, If that monster could stand up, I bet he would be over eight feet tall. (laughs) He was... (laughs) Thousand pounds, eight feet tall. It's just um, right. get that visual. Solid. You know, these are big numbers <laughs> for you know eight year old. Okay, uh, he was very, oh, humongous. A very creative spelling of humongous, by the way. Uh, the biggest one I have ever seen. Uh, and he had a friend. His nickname is Saw because he had a he had a very sharp tail. He cut the man right in half. Wow, this is brutal. But that man that the big monster ate was the president. <laughs> Who is the president in 1990? Hold so. on, hold on. Oh. But do not but do not tell anyone because <laughs> they would probably cry. <laughs> but turn to the front of this book to remind you about something. Well, I will tell you right now. <laughs> this is not a true story, but some monsters were alive back when the dinosaurs lived and that's what we're going to talk about. Now, back then there were not much. I only know there were not much. I only know two. They were both sea monsters. They were very dangerous monsters too. I bet if you get too close by them, they will eat you right up as fast as you can say boo. <laughs> so beware. Ha ha ha. They're waiting for you. 
but that was a long time ago. So (laughs) dramatic pause. So don't be afraid. Just say to yourself, this is not a true story, but it is not safe. (laughs) Just, just, just wish you weren't back by them. Oh, just, just wish you weren't back by them. You would be dead now. The end. So they ate the president. Is that is that George Senior? Is that Bush Senior? Uh, I believe it would have been Clinton at Clinton. that point, right? Ninety. Yeah. Ninety. I was not born. Or would did yeah? Or was it? I can look it up. Yikes. We should look it up. We should I'll look, look it up. This is embarrassing. This All is right. embarrassing. Uh, 98, 94, also, 90. There was an election that year, I think. Oh man, well that's it. Makes it even harder. Well, 90. oh maybe it was George. It was I think it was George H W. And and I just looked up the year nineteen ninety and like that. So here, here's my picture of the president. Did you see my picture of the president? Wow. It was Bush. It was, it was. It was Bush. George Senior. So I have I have a, a person with a beard who is standing at a podium with the American flag on it. And then there's some sort of star pattern. And there's a couple flags in the back. And I don't really know what that is. I think I was trying to make a subversive point here because it looks like there's a dollar sign in the American flag. Wow. All right. So, so anyway, like so this is my... I like it. This is reading of Monsters by Ben B. So now what... How would we workshop this idea, Casey? So um, typically we would go around in a circle um, and we would all say something supportive and then offer a few suggestions for how the story might better achieve um, what its you know true ambition might be. Yeah. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. I think we should do it. Yeah. Who wants to go first? Casey, you want to start or do you want right. to go? Okay. I'll start. Right. Okay. So I think there's a lot working really well in this piece. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to like butter the person. No, up this is like, this, this is, is so yeah. good. This um, is so good. All I'm right. Just imagining seven-year-old Ben. <laughs> That's so... Um. Yeah. So, uh, I think you're doing a lot of really inventive world building. Um. There's also a real sense of um paranoia and panic that I think you're um, you know drawing out here that involves the reader in the story immediately. We don't know if we're going to get eaten. We know we have to watch out. We know that there are, you know, some strange rules in this world, like a mean monster actually smells really good. Yeah, and bad. (laughs) And bad. So it's confusing to navigate this world of monsters. We don't know. We're vulnerable. I think it's it's really invoking a sense of confusion, which I think is important for the story. Absolutely. You want the reader to be confused. There's chaos. Yeah. There's also a really nice frame narrative um, within the story, right? Like we go into dinosaurs. We go, I mean, we get a full history. Yeah. And if we're unsure, we can refer back to the beginning of the book. That's true. It, it, yeah. lets, us, it, it, it lets us know that it does hold our hand a little bit. Yeah, that's true. I was true. going for clarity. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's good that you're holding our hand a little bit because, again, you're evoking that sense of confusion. So. Right. There are plot swerves Yeah. everywhere. <laughs> we're, not, we're not, not ready for the president no. to get eaten. Can I? Can I just? Can we? Can we? Well, pause? actually, the author is supposed to remain silent during the workshop. <laughs> yeah, please. Um... That's just tradition. Um, so those are the good things. Yeah. Yeah. What do you? Do you so, have criticisms. Um, do you want to say your good things, and we can kind of like trade? Uh, back I and mean, forth. like, yeah, I think my good things are, are similar. Yeah, the sense of confusion mm-hmm. I think is is prominent, and I, I also should I, I be taking notes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Furiously. Uh, I, I think. <laughs> I, I think that the uh, the descriptions of the monsters are good, and they're not overdone. It leaves enough up to the imagination for us to really like be afraid, mm-hmm. but also we get a sense of like, oh, this guy's got a sharp tail. Yeah, we like know that. we know what the dangers are, but we can kind of let them seep into our soul. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I also I do like the the direction of the book. You know, we kind of we get these descriptions, and it kind of builds the story, and then he eats the president, and we're also given history. It it has a you know a classic three structure three 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 uh, three part structure. Right tags triangle. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. <laughs> those words. Yeah. So those are yeah. Uh, those are both yeah. Those are the things I like. Okay. Not do I re- do I get a no. chance? I did not even respond no, to the I know positive. This is really hard okay. for you. Yeah. All right. So Casey, what do you okay. think? Okay. So on? in terms of suggestions, um, I feel like it's a little like monster tropey. You know, like. Um, the monsters have teeth. The monsters have smell. Like, we've heard this description of monsters. How are you going to make this your own? I feel like I don't really know a monster here. Um, I feel like, the, you know, we're a little distant from this monster thing. And I think you could kind of dig into that concept a little closely and really kind of make this more your own. Ben's laughing so hard he can't write. <laughs> I also, you know, 
you mentioned that the president's been eaten, but I I want to see that moment. I want to see, you know, we have an illustration, but the president's in one piece in that illustration. And I feel like that's really, you know, the emotionally, that's where the story is at its height. And I want to see you dig into that moment a little more. I, I would like to know kind of the the effects of all of these things that are happening. There's there's like a cause, but I don't feel like I'd see any effect, right? What's it's, the, so what? Yeah, what's yeah. the fallout of the president getting eaten? What is what is the does smelling like sour milk uh, invoke fear in the people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, does smelling like I think it's pizza? Was it's the, pizza. Yeah, does smelling like pizza like lure people in uh, so that they can then eat them and then smell like sour milk again? I want to know cause and effect. I want to know like why things are the way they are and, yeah. and and what is the fallout of the actions in the book. I think what Joey is craving is a little more world building here, Ben. A little bit. How do you, well, you now you now you're allowed to respond I he think can, do you have anything else to say I think that's it um right uh, spelling I think you need to you know do some copy editing yeah uh know how to use your commas and mm-hmm. semicolons mm-hmm. uh yeah I think that's all yeah maybe mm-hmm. hire an artist next time <laughs> you know is it my so do you're I good. get a chance you're to up. Okay. You're up. all right so now uh, if if I if I understand this correctly uh, now the next step in workshopping this story would be a chance for me to respond yes to the to the criticism yes. so um, Ben's trying to compose himself right now <laughs> I I I hear what you're saying about and I really appreciate your candor in the uh, responses and the very constructive feedback that you've given to me. But I would just say, you know, in response to some of your suggestions, I feel like some of my intent was misunderstood. And Uh perhaps that's more on the reader than it is on the author. (laughs) Um, That's a a sign of a bad author when he expects his audience. I would just say say that if you want me to... If you want me to rework the monster, maybe it is you who need to be reworked, okay? Because that was... Maybe where the monster is. <laughs> I'm trying to be as passive-aggressive as possible. Um, and um, I do agree that uh, the mo- the big climax of the president, <laughs> the president being eaten could perhaps be a little bit more descriptive. Um, I think in that moment, to Joey's point about the cause and effect, I was focused more on... Um, how other people would be worried. I was very, I felt as though my altruism was really shining through there. And I told the readers quite literally, I'm hoping you picked up on that, not to worry and that everything was going to be okay. Actually, maybe I didn't. I think I was trying to keep it a secret, right? I was like, don't but tell people. But it's like a twist at the end. It's like, yeah, we weren't, uh, expe- we weren't expecting it. It is. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is. I feel and like your defense is like E.E. Uh, e. Cummings' defense, which is like, well, if you don't get it, then uh, suck it. <laughs> Well, Your I mean, problem. Yeah. you know, uh, I, I, you know, I just feel like, um, <laughs> so what? So uh, maybe you just don't appreciate my eight-year-old genius. Seven. Mike pen drop and I'm out. All right. Uh, so that's, is that how? A, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> do people get pretty? Do people get defensive? No, I mean, um, the workshops I've been in, you know. Um, everybody's in the same boat and there's something really vulnerable about bringing your own work to the table. Um, thank I, you, Ben, for being thank so you, vulnerable. Thank you, Ben, for being vulnerable. Uh, you know, yeah. I, 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 have to ex- I just have to say that I, I experienced many emotions there. <laughs> and like authentically because I was thinking like, this is me and I was enjoying, I was sort of revisiting my childhood, right? Yeah. And then um, we're like, your childhood sucks. And then yeah. sharing it, I think the reason I felt safe sharing this is because I'm so far removed from mm-hmm. this person yeah. that I could make it sort of other, I could other this work and say, this isn't really me now, but look at where I was like, you know, 30 years, well, how whatever. How dumb the seven-year-old was. Yeah, exactly. Like, look how dumb and cute the seven-year-old was, right? Because that's what seven-year-olds are about. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know, as you were going through it, I started laughing, and then I was like, "This is very nice." But how how will I respond? Right? How will I respond to this criticism? Because it's it does put one in a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think people are generally very courteous and respectful and supportive of one another. Like we're all kind of in it together. And if you're lucky, you have um, a professor in the room who's kind of like, you know, lays down the law and makes sure that that's the atmosphere of the room where people feel comfortable offering criticism, but also in a way that's kind of nurturing and we're not kind of like bashing anyone. Do you, do you find that workshopping uh, stories almost always makes them better? Um, yeah, absolutely. And even if, you know, 
It's funny. I feel like uh, I know at this point in the program, I know who kind of gets my work and enables me. And I know who every single time is going to say the same exact thing. And I feel like they don't really understand what I'm trying to do. But that's okay. I feel like that's helped me um, understand how my work lands um, for different people. (coughs) Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) If you wanted to, you could take my defense of just maybe you needed, maybe the audience needs to rework. What would happen if you dropped a line like that in the workshop? (laughs) First of all, have well, have you had an experience of someone getting kind of um, maybe you need to be better at more or like more defensive than is perhaps um, acceptable acceptable for the workshop? Yeah, a little bit, okay. a little bit. Yeah, people get touchy, you know. It's, but it's, you created something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, how can you not? If you if you're not you know emotionally invested in what you did, then what what are you doing? Sure. Um, but it's funny, like a lot of my stuff um, right now. Um, is not necessarily about like holding the reader's hand or like providing an answer. A lot of my endings are really ambiguous and weird, and people are like, "Well, I was confused, so this didn't work for me." Mm-hmm. And I want to, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there quietly taking notes, and I want to say like, maybe you're supposed to be uncomfortable and confused. Um, I love ambiguous endings. Me think. too. People really don't like that. I, I know I'm bringing it back to movies again, but have either of you seen Three Billboards? No. The ending of that movie is very good, and it leaves you in kind of this ambiguous place. I love when movies... Uh, I just rewatched A Serious Man. Oh, the, I love that yeah. movie. The end of that yeah, movie is yeah. just like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just over? Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, and I, I kind of love that let the audience figure it out for themselves. I think everyone nowadays just wants to be spoon-fed every detail. That's why there's Absolutely. so many sequels. And yeah, stuff. Se- sequels and like the 30-minute sitcom mm-hmm. and even that, like the YouTube, you know, like that's how we're used to being spoon-fed, handheld. There's no questions. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's not good for creativity and for society. Like Absolutely. You, you need to have those questions. You need to create them yourself. Yeah, and I think that when you write with that in mind um, and you focus more on style and emotional resonance, then you can rely on your reader's sensitivity, I think, a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a nice a nice idea. Should yeah. we uh, should we move on to some emergent culture? Yeah, let's do it. We'll take a quick time out. We'll do some emergent culture. We'll be right back. All right, very good. We're back. (laughs) We're back, and for our emergent culture uh, artifact this week, um, we've got uh, an advanced copy of Lenny Zumas. She pronounces it Lenny, but it's spelled L-E-N-I. Okay, so Lenny Zumas. The book is called Red Clocks. And it's uh, like a modern or contemporary feminist novel about Mm -hmm. uh, abortion and kind of motherhood. Yeah. Right. And kind of um, turns up the stakes like on on reproductive rights right now where every single embryo is given um, rights. Property of rights. Yeah. Like, yeah, the embryos are gra- – yeah, so embryos are granted property rights uh, as well. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and it's, it, you know, it's kind of this this diff- alternate reality, right, where, where abortion is illegal and everything. And so – uh, and no one, no one's read it yet. So we just, we just read the back cover, and it, it sounds interesting. Sounds very interesting. I gotta say, I actually really like um, that that kind of style of book, where they take something that is like you just carry something through to its logical conclusion. That is like a very pressing and present issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say, okay, let's logically just like institute that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then let's find out what that world looks like. Yeah. yeah. And so in that sense, it's fiction, but it 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 very much like. It's not so far off. You know oh, yeah, I mean? no, yeah, it's... it's very speculative. I mean, like this yeah. is like, I think what a Mike Pence presidency would look like. Right, right, yeah. right. And so then this book apparently this follows like five different women as they all navigate this new world, this yeah. space, or yeah. this different world. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, the kind of this following to this like natural conclusion because like something that we talk about off the podcast a lot is your kind of fascination with this philosophical theory of accelerationism. We don't come on accelerationism <laughs> on this podcast. I, I right. just want to like bring it really quick. Is this like kind of following uh, capitalism to its logical conclusion? And I think that and that's all I'm going to say about it. Other than just like you know you can do that with anything, right? And I think that that creates a really interesting story. And you could do that with gun control. You could do that with any hot political topic. But you could do that with 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 smaller things as well. I mean, you can do it with. Or you do it with like cloning, right? Yeah, exactly. Or or like you know, in we won't mention it because it's a spoiler. But we've mentioned a science fiction movie which d- takes that premise. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, not so far into the distant future. Yeah. So sounds that's, good. That's it. Uh, I I wanted to bring up because I brought it up earlier and forgot the author. My favorite, one of my favorite short stories, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, is written by Richard Bach. 
Um, so if you if you do want to find it, Richard Bach, uh, his ex-wife lived next door to my grandparents in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So, so you've got like a connection there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I've never met her, but, you know. Uh, also, oh, I don't know when this is going to come out, but uh, Lainey Zumas is reading at Sundance Books and Music on May 4th. Oh, cool. In Reno. Check it out. Yeah. And she's also a drummer in a post-punk band. Hey, just like yeah, that. So. Are, are you guys a post-punk band? Uh, no, I think we're more of like a 90s garage rock I like band. It. Yeah. I think whenever someone asks me, I always have a different answer. Oh, good. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> Just say, like, don't stick genre labels on us. Yeah, well, hey, if you want to check out uh, Ben and Casey's band, you can. It's uh, Fine Motor, Reno, yeah, Bandcamp. Uh, <laughs> We're on Bandcamp, so you can check that out. You play shows. I've seen you guys live. We'll it's... have to have the band. The, we'll, you know what we'll do? We'll bring the band in uh, for a, for an episode as well. We'll talk music with sure, yeah. the band. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. Next week? Next week? Oh, yeah. So the recommendations for next week is in honor of the upcoming release of the Han Solo movie. Solo. We're gonna yeah, just, just, solo. just sorry. Yes, sorry. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, in honor of the Han, in honor of Solo a Star coming Wars up. Tale. All right. Very <laughs> nicely done, Joey. All right. Uh, we're going to do a Star Wars episode. So we're going to talk about Star Wars. We'll talk about. We'll come up with a rank order, perhaps, yeah, of all the well, Star Wars. Ben and, and I are going to try and go see it. And we're going to try and go see it and uh, make it all happen. So we'll yeah. Do a kind of so, special Star Wars episode. Yep. Yeah. So that is next week. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This was really fun. I this feel has like been I, great. I'm going to go cry uh, because of your mean comments about my book. <laughs> ben, please be a better writer next time. <laughs> In the future, think about writing better. Uh, yeah, thank uh, you. Man. All right. So this has been Residual Culture. Yeah, and you guys can, everybody can find us on, uh, you know. Instagram, Facebook, and. All uh, those. Twi- twi- Twitter. Twitter. Oh, our Twitter handle has changed. I don't know. I still don't know what's going on with that, but I, I, it may have changed. Anyways, at Residual Culture may be there us. now. Yes. Um, you can email us at residualculturepodcast at gmail.com. Yep. And our song today, as always, is uh, Finder by People With Bodies. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Joey Lovato. I'm Ben Birkenbein. And I'm Casey Bell. <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> Autumn is-